0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 18 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. It seems like internet is working again. If you just came off of Pete Dupuis' episode, my last episode, my internet wasn't working. So poor Pete had to call me and record on his end. And uh, thankfully the episode worked. We had a little technical difficulty. So thanks for bearing with me on that one. But uh, today I've got uh, Marcy Nevin on here. Marcy's become a, a friend more recently through the internet either and the fitness industry. And that's a really fun thing about, you know, having social media, people like them malign social media. We're going to talk lots of social media today. And, but you get to connect with really awesome people. And I like what Marcy's been doing. So I really wanted to make sure that you know, my dedicated listener base knew more about Marcy. So thanks for coming on here today. And I'll tell them a little bit about you in that, well, you're really most notable in that you're an online nutrition fitness coach. Uh, you've been in the industry for about 12 years now. And It's i I'll let more of that message come out through the conversation with you. But, uh, and one of the things we're going to talk about is you've done a really good job of building out a large dedicated following. So uh, is there anything else that's really important that I missed there?
1: I don't think so. No, thank you for not making me say, so tell me a little bit about you (laughs) because (laughs) I go on for like 20 minutes. My story is so long. So yeah, I think it's better that we just kind of weave it into the conversation rather than me spit out my background in my bio, which can get a little bit or boring, <laughs> I would say.
0: I'm a little bit mixed with, you know, the origin stories. I don't do them very often, but you know, I, I did want, because I'm not sure necessarily how many of my following, the, the regular listeners kind of know that background. So there is anything more succinct that's really important to, you know, Hey, how you got into the industry. And I definitely want to know about let's let's spend some time here on the kind of the rise to more prominence on social media.
1: Okay. Yeah. So in really my background is that I had, I would say, not a full-blown eating disorder. I wasn't anorexic. I wasn't bulimic, but I definitely had disordered eating habits and exercise obsession when I was in college. So prior to that, and no one believes me when they look at me now, and I'm a small person, I'm fairly lean. They don't believe that when I was younger, I was overweight. So I would say up until, oh gosh, maybe fourth grade, you know, I was active, I wasn't overweight. And then probably, yeah, maybe, I don't know, around age 11, 12, I felt like I started putting on weight and I didn't really know why. So I was very self conscious of that. And I started to exercise to VHS aerobics tapes in the living room of my parents' house, you know, to try to get the weight off and knowing nothing about nutrition, anything like that. And then yeah, that's kind of what started it. And then by the time I was in middle school, I was going to the gym, I was doing step aerobics, I was trying to lift weights. By high school, I was on Weight Watchers. So just doing whatever I could to get this weight off. And Weight Watchers, especially I hate to say this, it did help. So I lost probably, oof, close to like 15 to 20 pounds doing that. And like, that mix of Weight Watchers and then some other things as well. And I started to feel better about myself, more confident. And then it was my sophomore year of high school when I got really into like weight training, going to the gym, lifting with purpose, I would say. Not necessarily that I was doing things right, <laughs> but it was better than going to step classes, you know? Uh,
0: you mentioned Weight Watchers. And I think it's really easy to malign the entire entire quote diet industry. I, I'm someone who likes to take individual things I and mean, be like, herbalife, fuck off. I think that's true. <laughs> yeah. But with Weight Watchers, it's essentially a flexible dieting sort of template, and you know the, the point system. I think, and I think even back then that was kind of the classic way they did it. And at least within that, it is teaching people the value of the amount of food you can eat versus like the the amount of calories or roughly the energy value of a certain type of food in certain categories. So it is educational in that sense to let people know, not just to follow a plan, but to get an idea of how much they're supposed to eat, which can make it more enduring. I know that Weight Watchers is more highly regarded than most other approaches, because it doesn't have any particularly strong ideology, and I don't think it has any e- exclusionary language about any certain food groups.
1: I love what you said about the exclusionary language, and that is true. So mind you, I will be 37 in January, and I did Weight Watchers when I was 15. So it's been a long time. I know there have been multiple iterations of it you know, over the years. So when I started, it was much more black and white. It was, here's your point allotment and follow that you'll be good. So, but they don't teach you about the importance of protein or what a carbohydrate is or how to build a balanced meal. It was at that point I was eating in and out burger, you know, so I could have eaten an in and out burger and fries in a shake and blown through all my points for the day, but I still stayed within my points allotment, but I may have been you know, starving at the end of the day because I only had one meal. So there's a little bit of a lack of education.
0: And that makes sense too. I think they've gotten better. It's also the same sort of philosophy behind the extreme end of the, if it fits your macros crowd, that mm-hmm. it usually uses a straw man to you know, bite its ideological opponents to tear down flexible dieting is these people who are trying to cobble together as much garbage as possible to fit their quote macros. Very, very rare do we see that kind of behavior, but sure, it's like, let's just see what we can actually get into this with these macros. And yeah, you get someone who eats a lot of high high calorie food. It's not very satiating. I I don't think that behavior tends to endure very long in most people.
1: Correct. And mind you, my mom was the one who introduced me to Weight Watchers because I was asking her, how do I lose weight? So she didn't know any better. She's like, oh, cabbage soup diet, low, low fat, low sugar. She was just telling me what I should do based on what she was trying. So she decided she was going to go on Weight Watchers and she asked me to join her. So I was really just reading the literature at that point that she was passing on to me. I wasn't going to meetings. So I wasn't getting educated by the people at Weight Watchers. So I don't know, maybe they do do a better job of telling you how to Properly eat, and I was just going off the points. Okay, here's how many points I can eat. And they had this little tracker thing where it would show you how much every food or how many points each food had. And that was really all I was going off of. So now the issue is certain foods are free. Like apparently, eggs are free. (laughs) It's like, how is an egg free? (laughs) And I don't think any food should be free, uh, but I don't think that there is. Good food, bad food language. Where there's that, uh, what is it? I think it's called Noom, and that's another popular thing. That's it's not similar to Weight Watchers, I don't think, in terms of point counting, but they have, you know, red light foods, green light foods, things like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, kind of gets into that dichotomous thinking.
0: That's pretty cringy stuff when you think. Oh, about totally. It. And I think part of the reason why I, I think more favorably on Weight Watchers, I don't think I've ever endorsed anyone go do it, but if I've got a client who's doing it, I don't freak out, uh, is that it's probably the best of a lot of really bad stuff that's floating out there.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. If If they are doing it the right way, if they are focusing on, there's a woman whose account I follow Oh, I don't remember her name, but she was very, very successful with weight watchers lost more than a hundred pounds, but she was lifting. Like she was doing things correctly. She was prioritizing protein and healthy carbs and getting her veggies. So she was doing it correctly. And I think if you have the overall parameter of, okay, here's your points, which is just like you said, counting macros essentially, but you're doing it in a healthy way with, you know, let's say 80, 20, 90, 10, uh, philosophy, then you could be good.
0: And you can do that with almost any dietary ideology outside of the really extreme crazy stuff, which, and again, there's the, the disordered thinking that can manifest from some of these things like extreme fasting behaviors. But again, if someone's actually doing all of the things, right, let's say they're getting the calories right within some sort of loony rule structure and they're they're exercising and they've got a healthy emotional relationship with everything I know that's a fuck ton of ifs and it doesn't apply (laughs) in most cases when people are doing fad yo-yo type behavior but it's also why I'm very 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 loathe to demonize anything I mean I have seen carnivore work very well short term for people in my world I do Mm -hmm. not endorse it or think anyone should go and do it because there's a lot of potential problem long term but you get a what seemingly is a crazy intense diet like that. You get someone who has so many dietary issues, they can't figure out that an all meat diet is hypoallergenic. They feel a lot better on it. Okay. I understand that again. I'm not saying, Hey, everyone should go do that. In fact, I don't anyone should probably do that Mm long-term, but I at least get it. But I also suspect the vast majority of people can't do it in a, an emotionally healthy, safe way. So
1: yeah, I agree And for some people, those very rigid, extreme personalities do, they do better on an approach like that because they are not emotional when it comes to food. Mm. So they're laser focused. They, and they tend to be just very, I think, extreme in other areas of their life, whether that's their profession or athletic pursuits. You know, So they have that mentality to be, yeah, very focused, very extreme, very disciplined, so i can see how you know a keto a carnivore would work for somebody like that my issue with carnivore and you alluded to this is it helps with people who have digestive symptoms because they are eliminating foods that can cause digestive distress so high fodmap you know lots of fiber that kind of thing and they're like oh well or oh, wow it's a magical diet mm-hmm. it's like no you're just removing foods that have the tendency to give people digestive distress. And that is a huge red flag that there's something going on with your gut. Because if your gut is healthy, then you should be able to tolerate really any food, you but know, to an extent.
0: Identify, they're failing to identify what the actual problem foods are. And as you mentioned, food yeah. FODMAP stuff, it's so broad that it can be really hard to pinpoint it. And, you know, certainly above my... um level of, you know, formal education to kind of go into that kind of depth when it comes to nutrition, elimination diets, and figuring this stuff out. But I know that carnivore diet probably, like, like I said, it's not a good long-term solution and you're really inviting uh, colorectal cancer risk uh, among mm-hmm. other sort of issues. So you might be subbing out short-term GI distress issues for long-term massive gastrointestinal problems. That'll fucking kill you. So <laughs> I know very Over time, we get a little bit more data. I hope not too many people get, you know, die as a result of this cult-like mentality when it comes to carnivore. Uh, And then people just figure, okay, this is a really fucking bad idea. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore. And some of the people at the forefront of it, uh, honestly, there's no consequences for them. You know, they're your Sean Bakers, and and we got medical doctors endorsing some of the most dangerous stuff. You got Jason Fung, a, a nephrologist, a kidney specialist who's promoting, you know, extreme fasting in his books and he's got a big following. Now, again, I'm not inclined towards just tearing down those people. I think our industry needs to get a fuck ton better at creating such an engaging, broad message and reaching more people so that way that competes with the message of those kinds of people. And that's one of the reasons why I like people who've done what you've done. We mentioned Jordan Syatt, uh, who, you know, it was kind of a, a mentor to you early in, in, in the early mm-hmm. stages of this, who have grown larger social media followers. Talk about Carter Good and, and Chad Hargrove and Susan Niebergall who have all been guests on the podcast. And I feel like that's a really good way to get better information out to people instead of just mindlessly complaining about, you know, the Fungs and the Sean Bakers of the world. So let's go into the whole social media thing. Because you got over eighty thousand Instagram followers, right? That's a pretty sizable reach. I'm just shy of ten thousand, and that's... you're
1: getting to ten by Christmas. You're going to do it.
0: Well, I'm on track for it. It's actually been really fun. I've been documenting it, so anybody who's been following along has been seeing what I've been doing. And it's also an exercise in giving other people hope to go. Here's what you go do. Because I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I've got two thousand followers. I could never reach ten. I could never have six hundred thousand like Jordan side. Well, it all starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. So. And there's a lot of people who wish they could grow that. So I kind of have two embedded questions here, maybe three. Um, How much work goes into managing your social media, both the content creation and the interaction? So question one, we'll come back. And what isn't so glamorous about having this type of following? And then a little bit more elaboration. With this type of following and effort, how do you guard against constantly being affected by how each post performs, about losing Mm -hmm. followers, and then in managing negative interactions. So we can come back around to those questions. Just go, have at her.
1: Okay. Let's, let's break it down one at a time. So give me the first question again.
0: So how much work goes into managing your social media, both the content creation and your interactions?
1: Okay. So a lot of work. I would say that is the majority of what I spend my time on when I am not working one-to-one with clients. And it's difficult because coming up with content for that long (laughs) is a lot of work, you know, and there have been so many phases where I was like, well, that's it. My Instagram's dead because I've got nothing to say. (laughs) I've said it all. And I think all content creators go through that slump. I'm not sure if you've had it as well, but I know. Say it. uh, my other coach is my first coach was actually Jill Coleman. Not sure if you're familiar with her. So she started in fitness.
0: Yep. She's been on the podcast for, her. she's one of them. In fact, uh, I'm pretty due to book her for a new appearance. So,
1: yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So Jill was my first business coach. And she says the same thing. We all have those creativity slumps or, you know, where we just feel like we don't have ideas. So that happens. I, I would say it happens frequently. And in those times or when I'm really, overwhelmed, and I hate this word, but for lack of a better one, busy with, you know, my own clients, then sometimes I will just repurpose. And I think you and I have talked about, we have, I know, talking about repurposing, resharing. And it used to be nice because in the beginning of the infographic game, people would share other people's infographics. So if you were really busy one day, you're like, I don't have anything to write about, or I don't have time to write about it you could just share somebody else's and we're not really doing that anymore, which is kind of too bad, but (laughs) I've just followed the crowd on that one. Um, so in those cases, I will just repurpose something else and maybe I will clean up the caption, change it a little bit. Cause you go back and you're like, Oh gosh, that writing was atrocious. Or I was way too long winded. And I, I really learned how to write better from Jordan. He's such a good writer and just I'm a journalism major, so I was um, I majored in magazine editing and public relations from the University of Oregon. And I, my joke is, uh, I didn't. The one thing I did not learn was brevity, which they try to teach you. Um, but yeah, so I will go back and maybe redo the caption or change the infographic slightly if there was a tweet that I put up and I'm like, oh, I could have said that a little bit more succinctly. So it's like, I still have the basic concept. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, but it doesn't take so long to create. And then, oh, go on.
0: I was gonna say that gonna say you know, for, for the people who've been following along with you know my social media and and hearing this and who wanna work on social media, like, I've even noticed now, yeah, like the whole idea of like feeling like you don't have something to say and you get these little bursts But I've gone back to things I've posted and I've taken that same concept and rewritten it in a new way. And I noticed Mm -hmm. that you do that. Sohee Lee uh, was the first episode of the rebranded solo uh, effort with this podcast when Dean had to leave. And we talked extensively about this and she does tons of this stuff. Jordan Syed does tons of this stuff. You know, there's, you know, there's only a finite number of concepts we can even talk about, but through the process of just working on it and getting better at it. Sometimes you'll present an idea in such a uniquely awesome way that people go nuts and they share the hell out of it.
1: Right. And it's so, it's so interesting too, because some of the most simple basic stuff gets a lot of engagement and people are like mind blown, like, oh my gosh, this is so great. So I'll give you an example of one that I did very recently because It was a couple of days ago and I, it was getting towards the end of the day and I hadn't posted yet. I wanted to post. And so I went back and I remembered a tweet that I put up, I think over the summer that did really well. And it was something like, you know, if you're struggling to stay full with your fat loss and you don't have a lot of time, here's a simple tip. And it was one big smoothie every day and one big ass salad every day. I was like this is so stupid which I even put it up. I put it up people loved it. And so I went back to that and I was like okay, that was a good post. It did well. Very simple but helpful, actionable, you know. How can I rewrite this to apply it for the season that we were going into, which is the holidays. So I used that basic concept and I replaced a couple of words. So I said, you know, how to better stay on track and stay full, I don't remember exactly how I worded it, during the holiday season. And I said, one big smoothie every day, one big salad every day. And then I changed the caption a little bit and yeah, it was it was easy. So again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And the other thing you and I have talked about, and I'm sure he discussed it as well, I think we get in our own ways because we're thinking, oh my gosh, people are gonna notice, they've already seen it. Well, first of all, I had 80 something thousand followers and I think maybe a couple of thousand people will end up seeing the post and I know I don't see everybody's stuff. Also, you need to hear something over and over again, often until it finally sinks in, you know, we made that so point. yeah, that may not have landed with somebody six months ago, but now they're in a different space and it's like, that's the time that it hits.
0: How many new followers have you gained in those six months? How many of those exactly. have you seen that post before? Right. Yeah. So it, yeah, yeah. We went into great depth and, and I think this is important. And I've realized the value of this too is yes, you have to repeat messages. You have to repurpose messages. You said it. It, it, it. Think about the person who six months ago wasn't in the headspace for that message to resonate, to change your life. Mm-hmm. How, how often do you get the comment? Oh, I needed this today. Right? All the time. So, ex- yeah. I, I, and you're going to see that on a bigger scale than I'm seeing. I see it all the time. So we know that those messages are reaching people sometimes right at the moment when they need it. And maybe six months ago was not the moment where it would resonate with them. So the yeah. person listening to us who wants to grow their social media reach, this just breaks down all these bullshit reasons, these lies they tell themselves not to do it. So I, I think this shit's really important to realize.
1: Yeah. And then you said, how do I manage it? You know, for as many followers as I have, like I don't get inundated with DMs and comments. You know, I'll go on to Jordan's page and he's got thousands of comments. And, you know, at some point you can't reply to all of those. I do try to reply to every single comment because right now I have the ability to. And I don't have someone doing my DMs or anything like that. I find, and I, I don't think I ever will. And I can't say... I won't say, you know, never say never, because who knows what would happen down the road. But at this point, I find that the connection that I have with my community is of utmost importance to me. And I want to create that with people. I want them to know that if they are getting a response, it is coming from me, you know, so I do my best and I'm sure that I overlook some, not on purpose, but you know, you, you get a little like heart on your screen that shows you know you have new comments or new likes and that will eventually disappear on your feed if you know what i'm talking about so sometimes i have to go back to post and be like oh did i miss anything and i realized i've missed five comments and then i try and go and reply so i'm sure some go left unanswered but that's not because i don't care i do my best it's just sometimes it's an oversight
0: yeah. And it's anyone who wants to grow their stuff, like trying to respond to all this stuff and definitely responding to messages is pretty critical because it drives engagement, right? If, if, mm-hmm. The reason why you're here on this podcast is you, know, you found me somewhere through the ether, And then I'm like, Oh yeah. shit, she's got a big following. All right. Let's just see what the hell she's doing. Cool. And we got to chatting and we've had a number of conversations and I like what you've been doing. You've been really supportive of me. So I'm like, this is a person who I, I like and who I like what you're doing. I'm going to share you with more people. So, I mean, I'd be very shocked if you do not get followers, at least, at least a handful just from having listened to you on this episode. And those are the kind of people are probably going to be a little bit more interested in being engaged.
1: So Mm -hmm. most
0: people start sharing your stuff. And over time you add that up across every engagement you have by responding to a comment, by responding to a DM. And it's not an accident that you have that many followers, right? I mean, I know, We talked earlier about, oh, Ozzy's up in my arms, now he wants to get down so (laughs) far. So cute. um, (laughs) He comes and visits. Uh, We were talking about earlier, the explosion of the infographics and how you very much rode that wave that blew up into 2017. And I, I don't think it's as easy right now, but it still wasn't an accident that, you know, you built the size of the following that you built, right? Uh, so there had to be a lot of really good quality information and a lot of positive engagement to have seen that happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and what I'll say, I'm going to retell the story that I told you earlier about the conversation I had with Jordan. And for anyone who is listening who is struggling to make content, who wants to grow their following and doesn't know how, this is my one of my best tips. So. Back in 2017, I was starting to get more into online business. I was trying to grow my social media because Instagram is where I create most of my content and spend most of my time. And I joke that I was sharing pictures of my dog, my workouts, and poorly lit pictures of my food (laughs) and just getting very little engagement, not getting um, a lot of following or followers. And around that time, I was part of Jordan Science Inner Circle, and I was fairly active in it, and he was running a challenge, and the winner of the challenge could pick either between one month of fitness coaching, nutrition coaching, or business coaching. So I happened to win, and I chose the month of business coaching. So on our first call, the question that I had for him, because at that time, the infographics were really starting to take off, they had probably been... Uh, I'd say going on for about a month. So Carter, Jordan, so he, who was my best friend. So now he's my best friend doing it and I'm feeling the comparison and, Oh, do I need to do it? And kind of my limiting belief was uh, even, even though I'm a journalism major and I did page maker and Photoshop and all these things. One, I had to have other people do those projects for me because I couldn't figure it out and I am not creative. So there's no way I'm going to be able to figure out how to do these infographics. So I was coming up with all of the excuses not to do it. And then I asked Jordan, it's like, Hey, Jay, do you think I need to start doing the infographics? And he's like, well, you don't have to do anything. No, you don't. So no, you don't need to, but I would highly encourage it because you will get left behind if you don't. And right now it's early in the game. So if you jump on board, then you're going to be kind of at the forefront of it before you get really behind. I said, okay, yeah, that makes sense. He's like, so let me look at your Instagram feed while I have you on the phone. And he's you know going through my page and he says, I'll give you an example, Marcy, those Brussels sprouts that you posted yesterday, they look delicious, but no one's going to share a picture of fucking Brussels sprouts. And I was like, mind blown. That was my aha moment and everything clicked. And I was like it's all about the shareable content. At least in the beginning when you're trying to grow and you're trying to grow fast, that's how people get to know you. You know, I think that the reason my following grew was because other people were sharing was sharing my stuff. So, and this is another thing that I think you and I talked about off air was In the beginning of this infographic craze, it was very popular to maybe every couple of posts share somebody else's post. So I was gaining a lot of followers that way. So if someone who had a large following, like Sohi, Chad, whoever, was sharing my post on their feed, then I was getting a lot of new followers that way.
0: As you said, it's less common, but one of the major spikes of followers that i've gotten was because dr mike isertel had over the course of about 2 months i think it was five times he took one of my posts and i the twitter posts are the kind of the, the modern infographic right they're they're a mm-hmm. the popular thing now and you do them too but mike isertel who's got 140,000 followers he's a good friend he grabbed one of my posts and reposted it not into a story but on his wall which you don't see much of anymore he No. Does, periodically he'll do that with Spencer and Adulsky stuff or some, you know, a few other people, but he kept sharing mine. I'm just like, Holy shit. And every time he did it, I would get somewhere between 200 and, you know, five, 600 followers. Wow. So that caused a fairly big surge for at, you know, what was still a fairly small account. I think the first time he did it I was probably at about 5,000 as of time of recording, it's like 9,400 and, you know, creeping up on that 10 K. But uh, he caused a really major surge in it, and that's how I know a lot of people found my account and other big accounts. And then I've interacted with a lot of those people, and those people keep sharing it. So as, as you know, any, anyone who's worried about their small following, if you keep growing and growing, and like the pace of the first four or five months this year was quite slow, and I thought, oh, it would take me to the end of 2021 to hit 10,000. But mm-hmm. once it hit past a certain point, it picked up. Mike being probably the major catalyst for it. But then more recently, it's just been the sheer volume of shares from normal everyday accounts that all of a sudden I'm picking up 20 to 40 new followers a day, like clockwork, you know, right. like these big 500, you know, surges in one day, but it's driving the growth very steadily and yeah. this does sound crazy, but you know, let's say hypothetically, I maintain an average of 40 followers a day into the end of 2021 which has been what is, I've seen for maybe the last, say, three months. That would take me to 25,000 followers. Now, to a lot of people who are you know, lower counts, 25,000 sounds like an astonishingly high number. Now, there's no guarantees it'll keep that pace. But as Jordan Site once said to me, it doesn't just keep pace. It multiplies exponentially because the more people that are seeing what you're doing, the more people are sharing it the more people come and find you. So the pace should only increase Hmm. your growth. And that's what I've seen so far this year. Yeah,
1: and that's great. It's interesting because mine has steadily declined in terms of the pace of my growth. And I mean, I've lost quite a few followers in the past couple of months. I remember probably two months ago, I was at 84,000 and right now I'm at 8267 I haven't looked today. It's like whenever I share a post, about myself. So a picture of myself or something like that, I lose hundreds of people. I don't know. I don't know if it's just because people are so conditioned almost to see the infographics that anytime, and that's just pure information. Whereas a post about myself or a post where there's a picture of myself is usually something a little bit more vulnerable and personable. And I don't know if it just triggers people or if they're like, I'm just here for the information. I don't want to you know, hear about your personal life and they unfollow, but it's, it is very common or normal for me to get a lot of unfollows with posts like that compared to the infographics or the
0: tweets. Anyone who's trying to grow this needs to be prepared for this fact. Like yep. even I've noticed recently and anyone who's been following along has seen it, my account's been growing fairly quickly, but for every th- four followers that I gain, I lose one. Now, uh-huh. A lot of them are people who play follow-on-follow games. Um, Some of them are bots. In fact, there's a fair number of like just bullshit bots. Like I look at some account like, oh, this one's selling steroids or this one is a Bitcoin trader or this one. And sure enough, they're in my DMs trying to, you know, hey, do you want to increase your engagement on your Instagram? They're trying to just sell, you know, followers. And so you see these things. And I mean, one tactic is just those kind of accounts. You just, you know, delete them immediately. But if you look at your metrics on a business account, you'll see, you know, oh, I've gained, you know, I'm up 370 followers, but I've lost 90 followers, right? So exactly. that is gonna be part of this? And you, So that was one of the questions is, how do you actually deal with this emotionally, especially where, my guess is in part over time, you will accumulate bots, followers and fake followers that just stick around, like they, they just mm-hmm. happen. You hit popular hashtag, you gain these, like there's some of those on mine, but over time, I think Instagram actually does clean up those accounts, right? So you you can have some of your follower loss is simply just going to be the deletion of fake accounts. Like today, for example, I got a new follower. It's a girl, an ex-girlfriend of mine, but it's a fake profile that someone made to make it look like she has an OnlyFans account. Now on her thing, she's tagged it and said, Hey, this is fake guys. Can you report this? But that is a account that turned around and followed me. And I've seen this. i dozens of times with women that I know So bizarre sounds ludicrous right but this happens so you're going to get these bullshit accounts that are just going to randomly follow you but either within a few days or a few months they're going to eventually be gone so Uh,
1: I think that's true so a couple of years ago I remember this happening and I at that point I had maybe been doing this for six months a year and again I was like steadily growing and then all of a sudden I was just like losing followers, losing followers and everything I posted, I was losing a ton. I was like, what is going on? There just, there was no correlation to the causation and I was trying to figure it out and I couldn't. And I think it was one of those times where Instagram was doing their cleanup of the bot accounts because yeah, like I said, it just did not make sense. And that's been happening a little bit more recently where the number of people that I'm losing and at the pace that I'm losing them it doesn't make sense. So, I think recently they probably have gone and cleaned that up. And I, for a while there, I was just blocking and deleting any of those bot accounts. And at this point, I just don't really have the time or the energy to do it, you know? So, if I went in there and tried to clean it up all myself, I probably would lose thousands of followers, you know?
0: That's a part of this whole thing, too. It's like you can't get stressed out over the fact that. Um, oh you know not every single follower is actually a real thing like within mm-hmm. my following there's got to be a le- there's got to be a few hundred bot fake accounts there's going to be a few hundred yeah and it's actually pretty cool just how many are, are real engaged people and, and I'm actually fairly aggressive in trying to send messages or greet or I can't catch everybody but especially if it's an account that isn't like a little private account you know it looks like they're in the fitness industry you know they've got a couple thousand followers and I can see they're really working hard at it I'll even send, I've been doing a lot of this, sending voice messages saying, hey, you know, thank you so much for following. Um, And just like, you know, uh, something that's personalized because I can see it on their profile. If I can't print out someone's name, it's like, hey, I, you know, I'll I'll take a stab at it politely and say, please let me know if I got that wrong. And and if you're listening Mm -hmm. and I've done that with you, you know, please message me or or if you've never heard from me and you're a follower, guys, I actually want you to reach out to me because I want to actually interact with you guys. I love this sort of stuff yeah Um, that
1: personal touch is very helpful not many people do it
0: and that's sort of astonishing to me but i also think you know for someone especially with your number of followers jesus i mean you 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 would it would be a full-time job just trying to send out messages to everybody and interact so there has to be a limit so that that's sort of an interesting insight about that how about the part where like the, the unglamorous stuff about the maintenance of all this are there any other like kind of things that people wish here's where I'm coming from. People wish they had these big followings, but they have no fucking clue what they're getting into or mm-hmm. what they're inviting. So what's the kind of unsexy bullshit that these people don't have a, any understanding of with a larger account?
1: Yeah. So I want to make one more comment about the unfollows, just a mindset around that. And Jill, who I talked about earlier, was the person who first said this to me, and you'll hear it now from many other business coaches, but if the If people are unfollowing you for whatever reason, those aren't your people. So they probably, if, if business is what you want, if you want new clients, then you want people who are going to resonate with you, who are going to resonate with your message, who are your, you know, biggest fan, so to speak. So if someone is triggered by your content, doesn't like what you have to say, and they unfollow, it's like, they weren't going to buy from you anyways, you know? So something obviously does not mesh. And that's okay. It's like, go please. (laughs) Bye-bye. I'm okay with it. And I just want, all I care about is attracting the people who are here for what I have to say. So, I mean, I'll admit I will wake up and sometimes I will go a couple of days and just not even look at what my following count is. And then I'll wake up and I'll check And it, you know, it dropped from so the other day, 82.8 to 82.7. And it was like, Ooh, that stings a little bit, you know? And I was like, but I don't know why I didn't really put anything up that was that offensive. <laughs> so what, you know, why did that happen? So I will not lie and say that it doesn't still get to me. And that I don't care a little bit about the vanity metrics. But again, I know that it's people who just are not my ideal person. So
0: and I think this is what maybe the people who want the following, I mean, I'm in that in-between stage where I like, all right, put my head down and said, fuck it, we're going to make this happen and grow it a bit. That don't understand how much it can affect you, especially if it's multiplied over that scale uh, to see people unfollow you. Or, you know, Jordan Syed and I have talked about, you know, some of the Crazy bullshit you get in your DMs or or in comments. I mean, I've had some strange ones. I put up a post about empathy. You know this scenario. You know with this, it was a it was, it was the most popular post I've ever shared. It's this woman. You know example. And it's a, it's a made up example which people took offense to about how she'd lost fifty pounds. She's sitting in you know a, a mall food court having an ice cream. She has made a ton of sacrifices. She's got to buy some new clothes. She's lost weight. But you know how people. she's still got more weight to lose. And you know how people can look and cast a judgmental expression at an overweight person who is eating Mm -hmm. something that you think, hey, you shouldn't be eating that because you need to lose weight. And we know people do this crap. And it it was a call people on this, and hey, you know, be more empathetic, don't judge because you don't fucking know. Anyway, so there was one person who got in there and I shared it in my story, who said that this was fat phobic and steeped in white supremacy. What? Oh yeah, was a lunacy. Now, uh, ultimately, I had to block this person and another person because they just became absolutely abhorrently vicious in the comments. Now, the funny thing is, is my girlfriend who didn't get a chance to go see this, she wanted to, she's Jamaican, okay? And she is categorically, she is a curvy, full-figured girl. She's powerfully built. I just had a, her in my story. She's pushing a sled with four plates on it at the turf at my gym. She went toe-to-toe with me for what she did. She's strong. And, but she even said to herself, she she like fits those two quote categories and she wanted to go back at this person and be like, Hey, fuck off, bitch. Like blah. Right. Right. Uh, Anyway, it never got to that point, nor should it have. And, uh, it's just, you're going to deal with some really insane, crazy extremist narrative when you post something, unless your stuff is so banal that, you know, it couldn't possibly offend anyone. It's also going to be so uninteresting. No one's ever going to share it.
1: Exactly. Yes. And you don't want to be vanilla. You do not want to be vanilla or else you are going to blend in. You are not going to stand out. And if you want to, again, going back to finding your ideal client, the person who really stands for what you have to say you have to draw a line in the sand. You have to have kind of, you know, maybe a, I don't want to call it an unpopular opinion, but yeah, a non-vanilla opinion. So even even for me, you know, I maybe stand out a little bit because I talk about flexible dieting and no foods being off limits. And for the clean eater who's, you know, following Beachbody, then that's going to be asinine to her or to him, whoever it might be.
0: And they get twisted up about that stuff. It's they funny. do.
1: Oh, because they are just, I mean, here's the thing. And I've written a post about this before. What I hate the most about the nutrition space in social media is that people will tie their identity to their diet. So it's like you go, you see someone's Instagram handle, it's Keto Kathy and Paleo Paula. <laughs> and it's like, okay, if you're, if you're, Uh, identity is tied to the way you eat, you have a problem. And so people are just so uh, married to one way of thinking that they have no room for anybody else's opinion or way of thinking. So that can be very troublesome. And those people who are just like, you know, down to die for this one way of eating are going to attack the people who have A different viewpoint. Like, yes, I will shit talk keto and you know say things about Beach Body because I don't believe that it is sustainable, but I would never come onto someone's page and attack them for that. So going back to what you were saying earlier, the question you were going to ask, what do you sign up for when you have a large account? I have been very fortunate that I do not get a whole lot of negativity on my page. So now, is it because maybe I am still a little bit too vanilla? Maybe so. Um, because even I still struggle a little bit with, oh, am I going to offend someone? I want to keep the peace, you know, all of that. But uh, yeah, I don't get a whole lot of negative comments on my page or in my DMs. I mean, yeah, I have. And it's interesting because most of the negativity, negative comments I get are from vegans, hands down. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have an interesting take on vegans because I'm very, very rare in unilaterally condemning any sort of, you know, dietary ideology and and especially true Mm -hmm. of veganism. I think veganism has a unique moral aspect that is probably the most sustainable dietary ideology of all for some people. There are people who watch Game Changers and try veganism and then it doesn't work for them. It's not sustainable. But if you genuinely have a belief, moral belief that you don't want to harm animals, that person is likely to stay with it. Veganism can mm-hmm. have some benefits for a lot of people. I actually, I, I think we we know there's evidence about you know mental health issues and other potential deficiencies with veganism, uh, especially raw veganism, yeah. to where it's not a good idea for everyone. It really isn't. And when they get sucked into this belief that is the healthiest diet across the board for all, that is a flat out fallacy it's completely incorrect but at least with vegans i haven't had any sort of shit with them i i I don't fuck with them because i rarely ever say anything about veganism but i'll uh, I'll toy with keto a little bit i'll toy with a few other things i had a post about carnivore that a couple of their their zealots got offended by but uh, at the same time i actually don't i'm kind of more like you i don't tend to seek out the controversy by Posting a lot of stuff that's designed to get the reaction. I think a lot of people do. I mean, Lane Norton is the absolute king of it, right? He's just nonstop war about keto or carnivore with people and takes on their leaders. Um, but that's Lane's persona and it works for him. I think it's a big mistake. Yeah. For people who are trying to emerge is to go like battle hard into some sort of, I think it's going to cause way more fucking stress than you have any realization you can deal with. If you especially yep. trolls on your page. But uh, I think there's also something to be, to be thoughtful and nuanced and work on this is something I try to do, sharing an idea with such an interesting or nuanced or unique perspective that people go, wow, I never thought about it that way. And it's not necessarily something profound, but mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting perspective on a fairly basic concept. And mm-hmm. I love that. And by and large, it doesn't invite a lot of shitheads coming into my wall.
1: Yeah, I like that too. Right. And then going back to the sustainability of veganism or vegetarianism, I think that if you are not supplementing correctly for that, it can have negative health consequences. But I think about someone like my sister-in-law, she has been vegetarian for, I mean, she's in her early fifties now, gosh, probably since she was in her twenties, I would say because of, you know, ethics and she sustains it beautifully. She eats whatever she wants. Aside from meat, she eats fish. That makes it, she eats fish and eggs and dairy. That makes it a little bit easier. So no chicken, beef, pork, anything like that. When she comes over for dinner. Yeah. We just make her a piece of fish and it's easy. So for her, that's very sustainable, you know, and if you can make it work for you and it doesn't stress you out, then by all means, go for it. Just do it in a healthy way. And I will say I believe that genetics play an important role in your diet. And I've written about this in some of my posts where I have had genetic testing done because I have multiple health conditions. I've got some autoimmune diseases, some other stuff that I was really struggling with a couple of years ago. So I did a 23andme test. I had my, you know, cholesterol run and things like that. My cholesterol is very high even though I eat an I hate this word, clean diet. <laughs> you know, I don't eat a whole lot of like high cholesterol foods. Uh, so I think it's part hereditary. I have a low thyroid, but it's still something that I need to be concerned about. I have the APOE4 gene, which predisposes you to Alzheimer's. So I, yeah, I'm probably not going to eat a keto or carnivore diet. Like I have to make certain, uh, choices based on my My genetics and you know how my body would respond to certain foods. So I think it's all interconnected, you know. And there's no that's the thing. There's no one right way of doing things because we are all so different.
0: And this is what gets lost on a lot of these. um, And I I don't like complaining about them, but we at least need to kind of understand them. Uh, You know, people who promote one single dietary ideology, or it's not just people who make their diet, their, their identity, but people who make a diet, their brand identity in our mm-hmm. business. And those people can be problematic. Mm-hmm. I don't think the majority of the people who would be listening to this podcast would be following you or me are probably going to be keto Brian. I help, you know, dad, single dads, working dads, you know, adhere to keto diets or that kind of stuff. But um, I allude to niching, and that was the, the the final big topic I wanted to go into. You you specialize in coaching women, right? And so that is a niche, and it's a large niche, but it still removes half of all potential clients from play. You know, yeah. Maybe that's where the losing the followers, Some guy comes around, hangs out for a while, sees what you are posting, it's really great, and they realize, wait a minute, wait a second, you know, just yeah. women, okay, peace. Uh, right, and goes and follows Jordan Syed. But what are the what have been the benefits of Uh, focusing exclusively on women. And are there any challenges uh, of specializing uh, in female clients? And do you have any cautionary advice for anyone who is trying to maybe niche too narrow or too early?
1: Mm. So uh, I think the benefits are, it makes it a little bit easier to write content when you know exactly who you're speaking to, because it narrows down the topics that you can cover. So, which, I mean, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, because if you can cover everything, well, then now I have more content. But I think in the beginning, one of the mistakes that I made was I was just throwing all the information that I knew out there. And yes, it was good information and people were following it. Oh, this is so helpful. But it was just, if you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. Now, this is something that Jordan and I kind of disagree on because he does not believe in niching down. So... And I think that maybe there's a a happy medium. So there will be business coaches who say you have to niche down to the level of you're talking to women who are between the ages of 25 to 35 and have two kids and stay at home and have, you know, an income of $75,000. Like that's a little bit too much Mm -hmm. for me. You know my niche is and it's on my instagram bio like overwhelmed burnt out women who are driven and ambitious and hardworking. you know maybe they're not a career woman but they are a stay at home mom but they still have very high standards for themselves you know and they are the type of person who has been on every diet who has done every program and they feel overwhelmed, they're not getting results and they are ready for a different approach. They are tired of jumping from program to program and not, not seeing the results. So I, you know, try to speak to that woman and just help them simplify the process. And what I say, like take stress out, take the stress out of fitness and nutrition and just simplify it for them, break it down, and say, okay, we're going to focus on a couple of tenants that are going to really move the needle forward. I've created my, what I call like 4M method. Um, And yeah, that's all we have to focus on. Like the big rocks, you know, not meal timing, not supplements, not crazy amounts of cardio. Like you do these four things and you will succeed.
0: Do you ever get men asking you to coach them?
1: Uh, I've had a couple of male clients. I have one male client right now, to be honest with you. I like working with men Mm -hmm. because I think I have more of a male mindset. You know, some men are much more black and white. It's just, give me the program I will execute. And they have, correct me if I'm wrong, because you, I'm sure work with a lot of men and I only work with a, a small handful but I think that they're a little bit less emotional, less black and white thinking. Um, women tend to be, have more like emotional issues with food. Mm-hmm. So where's- On average. Mm-hmm. On average. Yeah, I would not say that that's not like a sweeping broad statement, but-
0: You'd be surprised. Absolutely. It's true on average, 100%, but I've also worked with a number of women who are very- deliberate and business-like with it and, and, you know, not what I would qualify as, you know, having emotional relationship with.
1: You know. Oh, that's good.
0: So there is that. And then I've worked with men. I've got a 15 year old, you know, teenager is a son of a, a friend of mine who I'm coaching and he has an emotional reaction to adding too many calories into his diet for fear of gaining body fat, despite the, oh. the, the, yeah, it's, it's something that sort of crept in there and it, it's a, it's an emotionally rooted thing where the logical brain says I want to get stronger I want to put on more muscle I know I need to eat more calories mm-hmm. so I watch very carefully the language he uses and I try to redirect that language and while I'm appealing to him intellectually I've also got to speak to him on that emotional level to make sure that he doesn't worry about uh, you know gaining the body fat so that's present in a fi- present in a 15-year-old intelligent wow. you know boy basically so yeah it's there for sure and I've got you know clients, male clients who are overweight, obese categorically, and their you know nutritional behavior is rooted in emotion. There's one gentleman that I work with who growing up very, very poor on a you know on a farm. And so later in life, he is very emotionally resistant to restricting what he eats because he grew up without. And he's sort of told that too. So I, I think. It's not so much black and white when it comes to someone being emotional or not emotional about it. I think the emotional relationship is there more than you realize in most people, but it's very, it, it applies in very specific ways. Yes. If I think let's, let's use me as an example. And, you know, I'm a big, tall, lean guy. I'm six to 255 pounds right now. I've slimmed down a little bit. And for me to say, Oh, everything is logical. I've relatively intuitively eaten most of my lifting time, but then what drives the desire to be that bigger muscular guy? Well, I was bullied throughout my, you know, teenage preteen and teenage years in a small town in Northern Utah. I didn't have a lot of friends that all came later on in life, but what's the desire to be, you know, this biggest possible guy, big and strong. Is that logical or is that an emotionally rooted thing that maybe comes from earlier on? So right. you am surprised just how emotionally rooted a lot of this stuff is.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I don't even think that's what I meant because that makes so much sense. I find that more of my women are emotional eaters when it comes to Eating to deal with their feelings.
0: Without question. I know
1: that mix. I have a male client right now who is very much an emotional eater. You know, he eats when he feels sad, lonely, overwhelmed, whatever the case may be. But I find that to be less prevalent with men. Yep. Absolutely. But on average, yes. Again, no sweeping generalizations. um, But most of the women who come to work with me, you know, they're I don't try to work with binge eaters because I think that is a, like a disordered eating behavior that needs to be referred out to a professional, you know, a, a therapist, but women who, yeah, they overeat because they're anxious. They are stressed. They are sad. You know, they had a hard day at work, whatever the case may be. That is the the majority of my clients.
0: And you allude to something there too. And you alluded to it very early on when you describe your own experience, you know, yes, there's categorical eating disorders that meet certain, you know, clinical criteria but it's not a black and white yes or no thing it's a very slippery slope sliding scale or spectrum of to where you may cross over into something clinical but a lot of people have subclinical levels of disordered eating and that's why i use the same language you do disordered eating behavior Mm -hmm. thinking versus eating disorders and that's sort of the a line that I draw on the sand there. You have to be very careful where you're dancing around that line as a fitness professional. I think a lot of people may risk stepping over that line. Yeah. A good example, I think that you would understand. I wonder if every listener knows this, but imagine the example where you've got a, let's say, let's say a female client, because more likely to be, who comes in after the weekend and asks you, well, how do I look today? Right. And let's say, you know, that person has a history of disordered eating or thinking. That's a very dangerous thing because, Let's say they look slimmer, okay? Why are they slimmer? Did they eat well all weekend? Were they exercising? Or did that person maybe purge or restrict their, their food that weekend? They're down a little bit of weight, they're down a little bit of water weight or whatever in that moment. And if you turn around and you tell them, hey, you look great, you look smaller, you risk possibly reinforcing any negative behavior so that's in that particular case if you have someone like that you have to tread carefully you have to move off of that conversation you don't mm-hmm. even like respond to it you redirect it into okay let's you know get into our workout whatnot and Absolutely. if you, have, yeah and I, I think you've probably come up against that sort of thing too
1: well and I, I even I've even experienced it in myself because so before I really got into my own issues I, so in high school, I had a really good friend who was full on anorexic, so had to be sent to Stanford to go or to undergo treatment for anorexia. I babysat a girl who was anorexic, also had to be set to Stanford. And I actually wrote papers around this in high school. I talked to this young girl's mom and she was the one who really taught me that eating disorders are all about control. So they feel out of control in some area of their life and food, exercise, whatever is the one thing that they can control. So if you tell someone even, oh, I'm worried about you because you look too thin, they grab onto that because they're thinking to myself, to themselves, oh, I'm doing this right. So they're going to, you know, restrict even further because now they realize, oh, I have that control. Um, so what you said, even about oh, you look slimmer or whatever the case may be, even if you, if someone said, Oh, well, word it like you look healthier, that could go the other way. Because I know when I was really lean, if someone's and I, let's say maybe I gained a little bit of weight and someone said, Oh, wow you look a lot healthier, immediately what I hear is you've put on weight, and it's like, Oh, now someone notices that I put on weight. Well, I didn't really want to put on weight, so now I'm going to restrict because. You know, I feel like I don't look how I want to look and people are noticing, you know.
0: So illustrative of how dangerous it is to dabble around in people with full-blown eating disorders. And the importance of what you said earlier is to refer this stuff out. You've got to be really fucking careful of the language you use because it mm-hmm. inadvertently cause some harm or reinforce some of this stuff. This well, insane. and
1: I think you have to be careful of even commenting on people's bodies to begin with you know and there was a post that I shared a couple of years ago that I don't remember what exactly it said but along those lines just be careful what you say to someone because either like oh you gained weight or you lost weight or you look great whatever the comment may be could be very triggering for someone based on where they are in their journey you know with their mindset yeah
0: a friend of mine uh shared on her social media not too long ago that You know, she shows a lot of her videos of her lifting and I guess she shared how somebody sent her a DM pointing out that she'd gained weight. So she's open about this thing and she posted how she was, she was, she was crushed. She was really upset about it. She's like, yes, I'm aware of this It's something I'm working on, but she's like, that one really hurt. So I reached out to her and was just chatting with her and, you know, listening to what she had to say. And she was okay, but she was very hurt by that person. She immediately blocked them and, and got rid of them. Um, because that's a thoughtless and insensitive comment. But Jesus, what are you thinking? But how, how damaging could that be to just volunteer that to someone, right? You could, I, I'm not sure when you have a relationship with someone where you can have that kind of conversation.
1: I don't know. It's difficult. But then I also say, you know, people are always going to make comments. They are. And oftentimes people's negative comments those attacking type of comments are a reflection of their own internal landscape, what they are dealing with. You know, someone who is really assured of themselves, secure with themselves, are not going to make disparaging comments like that. So, something to consider.
0: Yeah, actually, Jordan Syed, I can't remember. I, I swear, I feel like it was on air one of my episodes with him, and it might have been off air, but he had said how somebody came in with a really trollish nasty comment and Jordan privately messaged him. And instead of going back, it'd be said like, Hey man, I just, you know, I want to make sure that you're doing okay. And the guy turned around is like apologized, had admitted that he was having a really rough day or was dealing with something. And then Jordan actually just treated him like a human being listened. The guy turned out to be a, from that moment forward, a dedicated and engaged follower. And I'm fairly certain turn around and hired Jordan at some point. And that's not, you know, contrived effort, because Jordan is smart enough to know to do it. It's because he's a genuinely kind and good person. And it's reflected in all his media. And I think that's what it all boils down to is if you're going to have some success in this realm, it's probably going to be reflective of just being a kind, giving, genuine person, you can clearly tell that you want to make someone's life better. And this is not some sort of calculated and measured effort. You know, all that we talk about social media and having a strategy to it. At the end of the day, if you let the fact that you love doing the shine through your work, chances are that's gonna work pretty well.
1: Yeah, and going back to Jordan, that's what he always says. Like what it comes down to is just try to help people. That's it. And that's very simplistic, but I think that's what it does boil down to. Knowing that you're not gonna help everybody, there are gonna be those haters and those trolls. It's part of the game. It's what you were signing up for. But I think we talked a little bit about the mindset shifts that you can make around it know that whatever someone says, it's not about you. It's not personal. And yeah, if you feel like you want to reach out to that person and just say, Hey, it seems to me like you really are struggling. How can I help? You know, they may not respond favorably, but you never know. You, you could really help them in a way where they feel seen. And the reason that they are attacking you is because they are struggling so much, feeling like they are disconnected, feeling like they are different. And the only way that they feel that they think that they can make themselves feel better is to put somebody else down like bring them back down to their level
0: nick Tumanello, as a friend from the either of the inter, of the industry he says something that t- ties into a little bit of that if you respond to trolls consistently you're teaching people that's how to get your attention that is how to get you to argue and discuss especially like share your knowledge and Nick's fairly deliberate in not doing that he'll have private conversation with people but he won't argue with trolls publicly because it's also sends a message that well yeah this is the way to get his knowledge and attention which is sort of inconsiderate to the people who turn around and will pay for that same knowledge and attention so Nick's just got a really good filter for just not even dealing with it and I think that's quite clever.
1: Nick was one of my coaches long ago See, it's-, it's great that
0: it's so cool how small the world is. Like all the names we've discussed, they're like, "Yep, yeah, you're you're tied to all of them." So it's actually kind of funny we've only more recently kind of run across each other through the either. But this is also why I encourage the people who are listening or trying to build something: it's don't just fixate on trying to gain the attention, or God forbid, like curry the favor, or write in language that you to get the approval of, you know, a, a, a doctor. Mike tell, right? It, it just so happens that I've had a long-standing personal relationship with Mike you know, had sat down and had dinner with him um, on a number of occasions just through making that effort earlier in my career. And that's why he's sharing my posts, right? Mm -hmm. That's not because, you know, I made, I I tagged him. I've never tagged him in a damn thing on Instagram to try to get his attention and then have, well, this intellectual PhD, probably one of the smartest people in our industry to write in language that would impress him and go, wow, that's someone who really is a smart person. There's none of that shit. take a look at the people who are coming up through, who are in the same space you're in, follow them, engage with them, help each other, Mm -hmm. watch what happens that way. And along the way, some of the industry leaders, you'll meet them through travels. I've met a ton of them to where they'll interact with you a little bit. You'll have them on social media. Some, some of them follow me, some of them don't, but the ones that follow me, over time, they're turning around and going, hey, I really like what he's doing. I have a collaboration in the works that I'm going to send off shortly with Tony Gennelcore and Luca Hosovar. And it's something I put together and brought them both in on. And I'm hoping that it'll get published because I think it's really fucking cool. So we'll see about that. But that didn't happen overnight or because I followed them and started tagging them a bunch of shit. It's because I've actually met them in person, supported their businesses, really enjoyed them, brought them on the podcast, built a relationship with them and yeah. then put myself in that position and that took years and it was never yeah. something i set out to do from the start it just happened well
1: a couple things to that i mean i know brett contreras i have my opinions on him at this point but <laughs> i'll leave that for another conversation brett was i would say my first mentor in this industry so back in 2010 maybe i started working with him one on one He wrote my programs for a very long time. He was my first mentor. He had, he and I had a very good relationship up until recently and he saw the work I was putting out. We were friends. And so he would share my work and his stories and I wasn't asking him, oh, hey, Brett, you know, we have a good relationship. Would you mind sharing something? I'm really trying to grow my following. And then Spencer Nadolsky, like he used to share some of my content, which to me was an honor that someone who was a doctor and who had all this knowledge, thought that my content was worth sharing. He was actually my doctor for a while. I worked with him online. And so I'm sure that part of the, part of them both sharing my content was because they knew me as a person, but never once did I try to get anything out of that relationship. And that is one thing that I would recommend to someone is these people who have been in the game for a long time, who have you know put in the work, developed their career, They do not want someone when their time is already limited to come to them and say, hey, how can you help me? It's like, no, how can I help you? What can I do for you? And then maybe down the road, after you guys have established a rapport, a relationship, there's that trust that's been built, then maybe they will start to share your stuff or promote you in some way.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, it's funny, like, you know, two more people. So I met them at the same time. Uh, at the same conference, I met Susan Ebergall for the first time and Chad Hargrove and Carter Good and a, and a few other people we mentioned. And yeah, like I, I really enjoyed their both of their work for a really long time. And you know, again, not to get into it too much, but you know, there are some issues around Brett that you know our corner of the industry by and large kind of create a distance from him and that is what it is. so I won't get into that stuff. But uh, you know Spencer's someone, I, I, I've had them both on the podcast. They both have had wonderful episodes in the past. And there's a lot of knowledge base there, you know, again, won't dive into the whole reason behind it all, but I think it's kind of a well-known issue and, you know, I'm more interested in moving forward on this stuff and and supporting the good people as much as I can. Uh, And and there's that, right? So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, we need to make sure people know where to find you, seeing as we've talked so much about your social media.
1: Oh, thank you, Andrew. So you can find me on Instagram. It's just my name, Marcy Nevin. And then I also have a podcast of my own that I do with three other women, and that is Decades of Strengths. You can find that on iTunes and anywhere else podcasts are streamed.
0: I guess, uh, and that, all that stuff will be, you share that stuff on your social media anywhere for people, right? It's like, yeah. yeah. And then, and anytime that anyone's looking for any of my stuff, I'm like, Hey, go to my Instagram. And by the way, if you're not following yet, by now please come on follow me I want to connect
1: please follow (laughs) 10,000 by Christmas it's going to happen
0: you know there's probably some some people who found this episode through you and you you're the one that they're familiar with and I'm the stranger so what I would say in that particular case is you know I've got oh, this is the 18th episode of the rebrand there's 150 episodes of you know with me and my former co-host Dean Guido who's a really good friend wow we have had the industries whose. Who on this podcast? If you like John Berardi and Martin Rooney, you know, they've been on here. Um, And just go down through the list. It's actually really astonishing and I'm proud of it. And then more recently, you know, I started up the number one with the new uh, brand was Sohee Lee, who's a good friend. Love Sohee to death. Met her at the sitting else. She's great. Um, You know, I adore the hell of Sohee. She's doing wonderful things. You know, Jordan site, we've talked a lot about. He's been on recently. I've had Chad Hargrove back again recently. Um, you know, Carter Good has been on old episodes. So if you dig around in the library, the stuff, Susan Niebergall has been on recently. So some of the names we've thrown around who are similar personalities. So if someone's following you, I got a feeling they're probably following some of these people. Go check yeah. out some of those. If you like it, then maybe I will earn patronage and have you stick around for more. But uh, start with the, the people that you're really interested in. And if you think I've done a really good, great job as a host, I'd love to have you as an enduring subscriber. But like I said, it's got to be earned. Meanwhile, thanks everyone for listening. And Marcy, thank you. This has been really fun. You've been a great guest.
1: Oh, thank you for having me on. I know I reached out to you a, maybe a couple of months ago. I was like, hey, if you ever need a guest, <laughs> and you're like, I've got a good lineup, but I'll let you know. So I'm honored.
0: <laughs> I, I should, you know, I, I should t- talk on that because I do get... a oh, an interesting number of requests right and oftentimes it'll be someone who's like hey I've got a really great story or I had one guy who was really aggressive in my messages he was some sort of click funnels business coach that was a really hard Uh no for me and yeah I actually do have you know probably you know at least a hundred people that I want to get back on because with the revamping of it or people I need to get on I still got a book Nick Winkleman you know, because I love his book a lot. I got to get John Russon back on. I got to get Jade Tata back on. Um, And, uh, you know, and and there's so many awesome people in this industry that I want to bring back on. So I have made the mistake, and anybody who really knows me probably knows who the one guest was. Anyway, I've made a mistake of not vetting a guest, bringing that individual on fairly quickly. And that individual has turned around and has been Vicious and awful and hateful, and has publicly attacked me, uh, and looked looked terrible in the process. There was no justification for it. It was just, you know, just extremist mindset and attitude. And this individual has largely blackballed themselves in the industry through behavior targeted at a lot of different people, including taking s- swipes at Sohee Lee, and Mike Isertal, and Lane Norton, and T Nation, who I write for. I don't and, even
1: know
0: who this is. A you know, laundry list of other people. I, you know what? I don't want to get into too much of this negativity, but you know what? I really do like taking my time and seeing who someone is, what they're all about. And if I have the opportunity, like I did here, then i realize, okay, this is someone I really like what they're doing. This is someone that, okay, there's no major horrible skeletons that I gotta, you know, find out about. Turns around that, you know, they're involved with something, you know, that I, I just can't endorse. I'll usually take my time with it and so I, I prefer to ask people then it, it's very I think I've said yes to three people who've asked me and maybe four John Berardi although I was angling to get John through the connections I had because I featured a lot of precision people when John said he was interested in doing it that was an automatic uh early early on Jonathan Goodman of the PTDC who's been a, an incredible supporter and a wonderful guy you know when he turned around and asked, you know, way back when I'm like, oh god, yes, absolutely John Good. But these are also people that I know their professional reputations f- for many years before um you know they were, were even uh anywhere near the podcast. So if I know someone's professional reputation and it's a really, really good one, then sure, then then it's something I'll talk about, right? But anyway, so there's a little insight into it, and I want to support people as much as I can, but I know that I can I have one guest a week to talk to, I can support someone a hell of a lot more. By, you know, interacting with them, giving them information, supporting them in their quest to grow a brand, a business and help them in that people do have this idea. I've had people before who think my podcast has been around a while. It is a very successful podcast has a great listenership, but they think that, okay, you get on this podcast, all of a sudden you're going to get a thousand new followers. You're going to make it, but that's not how it works. It's kind of the opposite. You know, you really work hard to establish yourself in the fitness space as someone who's doing a lot of really cool stuff. And then those are the people I want to have those conversations with. Call me selfish because I want to learn from them. I want to get to know more about them. And I'm just hoping that everybody listening gets a lot out of the process. Right.
1: Well, I'm I'm sure that they will. This has been a wonderful conversation. You're a great interviewer.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that. All right. Well, I'll uh, hang on off air. I'll tell you when this episode will be up. And for everybody else listening, thanks for uh, tuning in yet another week. And uh, I have not as of yet finalize which guest I have next week, but I will bring you a great guest. Uh, You have my word.